The Lifestylist, episode 130, featuring Seth Leaf Przensky. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. This show is all about building the ultimate lifestyle, right? And a huge part of that is optimizing not only your sleep, but your sleep environment. So I'm super stoked to tell you guys about Altera Pure, who make the highest quality, organic, pesticide-free, non-GMO sheets and bedding that I've ever discovered. A lot of stuff on the market is actually pretty fake ass, I gotta tell you. Uh, I've looked into this a lot. It's actually very difficult to find high quality, truly organic cotton. So Altera Pure is doing it right. I've got them myself on my bed. They are insanely high quality. And it's a very great company because they really support the environment, social sustainability, and they're absolutely transparent. So I want you to go to their site, alterapure.com. And when you get over there to pick up some sheets, you can use the code LIFESTYLIST and save yourself 15%. So go to alterapure.com. That's A-L-T-E-R-R-A-P-U-R-E. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15%. Today's show is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi. Now, if you've been listening to the show, you know I always talk about their green superfood powder because I literally eat it every single day and I'm not even exaggerating. The stuff is amazing. However, they just sent me a tub of this new product called Organifi Gold. And dude, it is so good. It's a ginger flavored tea, sort of like a golden milk latte type situation. It's got turmeric, reishi mushroom, lemon balm extract, turkey tail mushrooms. Of course, it's totally organic. What's cool about it is you can make sort of a bulletproof drink, like a hot elixir with coconut oil, grass-fed butter, or ghee, or you can just make a smoothie with ice and you know some kind of nut milk or something like that. So you can do it hot or cold. It's got no caffeine, no sugar, and it really relaxes you. So I really like it at night. It's like a nice warm drink. You make a nice fatty little drink out of it. It's gently detoxifying and just really chills you out. So I'm super into it. So it's called Organifi Gold. You can get it at Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I. And as always, your old pal Luke's got a hookup for you. If you use the code LIFESTYLIST, you will save 20% on your order. So I'm still in the green powder, but I'm adding this to the nightly regimen now because the green powder's got a little bit of matcha in it, so I don't like to do that at night. I do that in the morning, and I do the gold at night now, and I'm about half a tub in, and I'm already freaking out because I'm running out. So check it out at Organifi.com. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save yourself a cool 20%. Here we are at episode two in the Water Wars trilogy. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to number one with Daniel Vitalis, which came out on Tuesday, if you didn't happen to catch that. That is one hell of an epic episode all about water. Now we're in part two with my friend Seth Leaf Prusansky from Tourmaline Springs. After this, later on today, maybe even, we might even drop them at the same time, is Makunde Singh, which is episode three. So this is a three-part series called Water Wars, 
all about everything you could ever possibly want to know about water. So I'm super stoked to bring this one to you. Seth is just bomb as F. I'm trying to swear less on the show. Dude just has such an amazing perspective on many things, not the least of which being water, obviously. I also want to remind you that next Tuesday, we've got episode number 132 with Aubrey Marcus from On It. That is a badass episode. You don't want to miss that one. Then we've got a couple events. Tomorrow, I'll be hosting a panel and a major biohacking lab all day at Whitma Live at Noya House in Hollywood. Uh, that's March 24th, tomorrow, Saturday. If you're hearing this later, whoops, you missed it. Then we've got the Longevity Now Conference, April 6th through 8th in Anaheim, California. To win tickets to that event, here's what I want you to do. Open up your text app right now. No, I'm serious. Like, pull the car over. Stop what you're doing. You don't even have to pull your car over if you live in L.A. Just do it at a red light. No, don't do that. Keep it safe, kids. Seriously, text me the word Longevity now, all lowercase. Your phone's going to want to make that L uppercase. Don't do that. All lowercase, longevity now to the number 44222. So open up your text app, enter this number, 44222. Put the word longevity now, all lowercase. It only works on a U.S. phone. If you don't have a U.S. phone, you're shit out of luck. My bad. Next up is Little Soho House Beach House, and that's April 24th. I'll be interviewing Eli Block from One Taste, all about orgasmic meditation, and then we're going to turn that into a bootleg broadcast podcast, so you'll be able to hear that later, but you might be able to get in uh, to that one to come see it in person. It's very limited, but uh, go to my site, and you might be able to sneak your way in somehow. Next up is Paleo Effects, where I'll be doing an amazing presentation. Uh, they're in Austin, Texas, my first trip to Austin. Super stoked. That's April 26th through April 20th. 29th. And all of my events can always be found at lukestory.com forward slash events. Okay, on to today's show with Seth Leaf Prusansky. Seth was born into this world with the ability to interpret deeply profound universal wisdom from his conscious awareness of reality. Throughout the course of his life, he's learned how to masterfully articulate this knowing in a way that benefits those who are desperately seeking real answers to the big questions in life. He's a father and owner of two mission-driven businesses, one of which called Tourmaline Spring, that's tourmalinespring.com, and livingnuts.com, that's N-U-T-Z. He's also the editor of the blog, theuniversalobserver.com. His daily life consists of grounding the principles of natural laws and higher awareness into small business structures. And that's why I love Seth. So in this mind-blowing episode, we're going to cover the following topics. How he got into spring water and started his own spring water company. Why he believes this water is the best option available on Earth. How the geographic location and the type of rock a spring comes from determines the overall quality of that water. Why it's important to lab test spring water in some cases to make sure that it's safe. And then the most fascinating thing about this interview was something called primary water and why it's the most absolutely pure water on the planet. Really trippy stuff. And this is something I didn't know. And I'm, I consider myself kind of a, a water savant. Uh, the fact that the earth actually makes water, that it does not come from outer space as much pseudoscience would lead you to believe. The pros and cons of tap water, filtered water, bottled water, you know the whole deal. Okay. What's the best water? That's the big question, right? The million dollar question. We answer that in this episode. How the water industry affects the environment, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Who are the bad players and who are the good players? I think Seth is one of the best, actually. It's why I interviewed him. 
how he discovered how to make non-toxic plastic bottles for his company, Tourmaline Springs. Pretty fascinating stuff. I didn't even know that existed. And then how you tell if a specific spring is safe and why the media has recently attacked the spring water industry. Really interesting stuff, okay? So, uh, yeah, that's what we've got going on. And I want to, of course, just make sure you go back and check the first installment of this series with Daniel Vitalis and also check into the next one with Makunde Spring. It's a total of over five and a half, almost six hours of content all about water. So I'm super stoked to bring you part two with my boy Seth. Dig in and get ready to get your mind blown. Seth, what's up, bro? Good to see you again. All right, Luke. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. I'm stoked, dude. So as you know, as I've explained a little bit, this is uh, part of a a three-part series that I'm doing on all things drinking water, bathing water, all about water and what's going on with the water industry and uh, especially as it's being portrayed in the media. So this is a very focused and probably the most extensive topic that I've ever covered on a show. So I'm really stoked that you made the time to join me and uh, dig into the whole main East Coast side of the business uh, because I know you've got a lot going on there and have been in the game for a while. So here we go, dude. We're going to dig into the water wars. All right. So let's just start out. How did you first get into drinking spring water yourself? Well, you know what? It's it's a long story, but I'll try to condense it. The basics of it were I was born and raised here in Maine. Maine is a water producing state. We've got springs everywhere. Most of them are small, but it's very unique. You walk out into the woods and all of a sudden you see a thing of sand with just bubbles coming up through it. And you're like, what is that? There's nothing feeding into it. You don't see any other sources. It's just coming out of nowhere. And I remember being a little kid and discovering these and realizing how different it was than the rivers or the streams or, you know, whatever kind of bodies of water you're most used to seeing. And I remember it like, it kind of messed with my head a little bit. Even as a little kid, I was like, wait a minute, it's not a stream. It's coming up. There's nothing feeding into it. What's doing it? You know, and I realized it was coming out of the ground. And then I drank out of one of these streams when I was probably about, I mean, these springs when I was, I was young. I was really young. I was a kid. And it just did something to me. It just, it hit this like nerve in my being where I just felt like, whoa, that is not like the well water. I grew up drinking well water too, but it was not like the water coming out of the well. It was very, very different, and it it really impacted me. So fast forward a whole bunch of years later, I've just been this overzealous entrepreneur, somebody who, I don't know, I love creating business structures, but only if they resonate with ideals and philosophies that are in alignment with nature. And so I've always kind of been a renegade, kind of outcast and looking for ways to create business structures that were outside of the norm, you know, and so that got me to the natural foods industry and just started creating companies and getting involved with that. And then I met Daniel Vitalis, actually, um, a long time ago, and we became, you know, the closest of friends and We'd travel all around the world together and do all kinds of stuff. And one thing that always impacted both of us together was these geothermal hot springs. 
And so that was like, wow, you know, this is crazy. What is this? This hot water coming out of the ground. And it kind of became like a thing. We were like, yes, hot springs. Let's do it. Let's go. And But I remember those springs were, you don't want to drink out of most of them because they were really, really mineralized, you know? And so every now and then we come upon one that was a lower TDS and it was like, all right, no, that's, you know, interesting. You can drink that. But overall, I didn't personally want to drink from that. Yeah. When I had these springs out in Maine, you know, and really started looking at how the TDS of a lot of them are really, really low. It's like, all right, that's drinking water. That is having a profound effect on my metabolism, on my awareness, on everything. So would, would that's you, kind would, of how I that's no, that's awesome, man. And I share your enthusiasm for all things water, man. I, I mean, I grew up drinking spring water and dipping in hot springs. I mean, it's just it's just part of life in in Colorado, where I spent a lot of my youth. Uh, would you explain for people? You mentioned uh, TDS, you know, and the minerals in the water. Would you give people a breakdown of that? Because I think some of the marketing around the bottled water industry has indicated that you want minerals and quote unquote electrolytes in your water. And I think a lot of people uh, have misperceptions, and maybe even myself, about you know the idea of if we actually want minerals in the water. Could you kind of break that down for them? Yeah. So for them, for those people, those those listeners. <laughs> Well, you know what, though? But it's interestingly, there's people, water's becoming such a big topic. There's actually a whole movement of people who love high mineral waters because they're pairing water. It's coming to this like water connoisseur thing, which is great. As long as people are talking about drinking water and however it goes, fantastic, you know. But for me, TDS is very important because it means total dissolved solids. But for me, a low TDS water denotes natural purity and that's why it's so important to me so the higher that water is in minerals i noticed on my own body i'm very hypersensitive i'm very aware of my own body whenever i eat anything or drink anything i feel it immediately on all the different normal and subtle layers of my own awareness and when i drink a low mineral water my body is like, yes, it just opens up, it responds, it takes it in, I feel hydrated, I can think more clearly. When I drink mineral waters, it almost has like a sluggish effect on my body where my organs are like, oh, they're just kind of processing it and breaking down. And, you know, one one good indication of that, and, you know, not everybody can see this, but like right now I'm in Maine, it's midwinter, it's freezing cold, there's snow everywhere, and it gets really dry at times because we don't, you know, everything's frozen. All the water is frozen, the snow, everything. And so I take on my wood stove, you have to have water going to put some humidity and moisture into the air or else you get dry skin and everything. But I have well water and the well water here actually comes from a big aquifer. But you can see the, the mineralization every time the water, you know, burns off and it just burns away. And then what's left is a thick residue of minerals on the bottom of the pan. And I'm like, wow, that's, you don't see it obviously in water. You don't see minerals and it's clear, but when it, when it all evaporates, you see what is left behind. And so I could notice that when I drink high mineral waters, my body, it felt like that same kind of visual look is like seeing stuff coated on a pan like that or a pot. That's what it feels like in my body. Like it's getting stuck there. Like it's not moving through. Right. So low levels is important right. for me. 
my it's, experience. Yeah, it's like that chalky stuff that's left. I always use glass cookware to heat up water, especially. Right? I mean, obviously, I don't have a glass frying pan, but that's how I heat up my tea or coffee or elixir water. And when I have like the Mountain Valley spring water, which is, you know, I wouldn't say at the top of the food chain, but that's pretty good water, you know, for most commercial water. But when I when I boil that versus when I boil the spring water I get from live spring water, I hear even some of the springs I go to myself, there's like this lime scale, this chalk sort of stuff left over in the mountain valley. And the same would be true, obviously, for tap water, which is usually pretty high TDS. So I've like really geeked out on that and hunted for springs. Then I have my little TDS meter. I actually have a video on YouTube where I show how to collect spring water. And I show the TDS of the spring and all that. And it's, it is for us water connoisseurs, there is um, a definitely a different flavor profile and a different hydration profile that I, I think is fairly universal. And when I've been to springs that are a really high mineral content, I just don't like that water as much. It's never as cold. It's just feels like kind of syrupy almost, you know, just, it just has a different vibe. Um, so it's interesting, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, it's just up to one's own taste, but I get the feeling that that stuff that we're seeing in a pot, that chalk is probably the same stuff that will sort of um, form around your faucet in the bathroom. You know, you get that like lime scale, that calcification that happens to pipes and plumbing and things like that. If that's happening out in the open, it seems to indicate that there's probably going to be some of that going on in the body. You know, I don't know that we can metabolize minerals that are actually ground up rocks. You know, that's a great point. And it's one that, you know, a lot of people will go way deep into it. But yes, there's something to be said for bioavailability. Can you take rock dust and convert it into bioavailable minerals for the body? Or do you need a, an intermediary like plants or animals or whatever who are, you know, a plant will take nutrients out of the soil, they incorporate it into its actual physical body, then we eat that and suddenly the nutrient availability is increased dramatically. Whereas if we just drink rock dust, we're like, for me, I notice it right away. It slows me down. But like I said, there's a whole movement of people with this whole water connoisseur who they're not so much coming at it from a health perspective, maybe like we are, but they're coming at it like, all right, what is this specific mineral water out of France or Switzerland or Sweden or wherever? How does this pair with my food that I'm eating? Right. And that's fascinating. I love hearing these guys. Yeah. Some I love, games, I'd love yeah. to go to one of those water shows. It's like, you know, where they have these competitions. It's like the cannabis cup for water or whatever, you know. It'd be, it'd be interesting to go there and like really try all of the uh, different waters and find the nuances in terms of taste and stuff like that. Yeah, where I'm totally coming at, it. all right, what's the water that's best for your body more so? It just happens to be the stuff that's best for your body. I find also taste the best. I mean, when people come to my house to record podcasts, I'm like, hey, you want some spring water? I give them the water. They're like, oh my God, this water is delicious. What the hell? It has this really sweet flavor to it. It's just amazing. So you're situated in Maine uh, in a place where you can drink spring water full time. And even when you're a kid, you grew up on a well, which is a huge step away from most people living in an urban area where they're living off the man's you know, municipal recycled sewage uh, at best in some cases. If you could summarize your hierarchy of water, meaning if the best, you know, low TDS, cold, high altitude spring that you can find in Maine is at the top of the food chain, what are the different tiers if you were forced to have the next best, then the next best, then the next best? Well, 
obviously I'm partial to my company, Termaline Spring, what I represent. Right, of and course. And there's reason for it, though, for me, you know, and, and I'm sure Daniel will, will agree on many levels about this, too. There's not all springs are the same. And that's what a lot of people who are just getting to spring water and understand it, it, they're not the same. There's so many different types of springs, really. But also, even more important than a spring is what kind of bedrock is it coming through? You know, that's a whole other level that people don't consider. And then you're really dealing with geographic regions. You know, like in the southern U.S., the, the southeastern U.S., there's a lot of limestone. So the water is going through a different kind of soft, porous material, where up here in the Northeast, it's crystalline granite. It's hard, hard rock. So water is the universal... Um, Solvent. <laughs> this, this is yeah. cool. This is good. This is good. So water is going to absorb whatever matrix, right? Whatever the situ, whatever it's sitting in, that's going to have an effect, often a profound effect on the water you're drinking. So when you think of it in terms like that, it's suddenly it's like, okay, j water that's just coming out of the earth somewhere, that's not it. Like, what is the host rock? What is it coming out of? How long is it more of a surface water that's just water table and bubbling in the surface? Or is it groundwater? Or is it deep, deep groundwater, aquifer water? And then there's a whole other thing, which it's new in a lot of people's minds, but it's not new at all. And a lot of people have been talking about it which is primary water or juvenile water or magmatic water. And this, I don't know if you look through some of this stuff, but if you have questions, we can get to No, it go for it. Let's dive in there. Let's dive in there. Our higher, you know, the other tiers of the hierarchy might be two minutes each because there's so much rich content here just in the spring water. So let's stay in the upper realms then and, and dig into this because it's fascinating to me. All right, then I'm going to have to launch into this whole thing. Then cool, let's you, do it. If you want to get into if you just interrupt me if I get going. So what compelled me to learn about primary water or magmatic water or juvenile water is this. This spring where I am is a high elevation spring. Most springs are down lower elevations. That's where a lot of them are because the aquifers, we were told, need to be pressurized, you know, to a certain degree to cause the hydrostatic pressure. Because water doesn't flow up. It flows down usually. So for a spring, this water is coming against gravity and it's rising up. And it's going through all these different layers of earth, soil, sand, silt, sediment that act as a filtration device. Drop the particulate matter in the water drops just from the gravity, the weight of it. And as it comes through these layers, it drops away. So in our spring, in Tourmaline Spring, which is actually Summit Spring in Harrison, Maine, this is a rare high elevation spring. It's almost a thousand feet above sea level. A lot of the other springs here in Maine are fairly low, you know, some two, 300 feet above sea level. So for this one to be, you know, 800 feet plus above sea level, it's kind of like, all right, what's causing that? So I, I needed to know my business partner, Brian, we, we've been looking into it. We had hydrogeologists come up here, water chemists, different people who have tried to help us understand this anomaly of what's causing this much hydrostatic pressure to push that amount of water because this isn't just like a side of the road like you know water coming this is a big amount of water just coming out of the top of the mountain picture a volcano right the the picture perfect thing of a volcano and at the top of it is magma that comes out right but this isn't this is water so it's, it's that same kind of thing it's this big hill 
with this column of water coming out in the middle, middle of it and coming out. So the hydrogeologists, the people that were studying this, they would say, well, there's not enough surface area on the hill where the spring is bubbling out on top of to cause that much water to come out. So they'd say, all right, well, it's got to be coming from further away. But the only mount and further away and higher up. But the only thing that is higher up in that area that would cause that much pressure is the White Mountains in New Hampshire, which are 50 miles away. And then they would say, well, that's impossible. It's, you know, it, it's not impossible, but spring water doesn't usually travel that far. You know, it it's they call it horizontal traveling. It's it's a long way. It can come from that far away. But it means that it's going to be coming through the bedrock and the water table. And it's if, if it did come from that far, it would have a much higher TDS because it would literally be going through horizontally, coming through all these other layers of earth and then being pressurized. And so they didn't like that explanation of it. You know, they're like, well, it just, you know, and some like, I don't know. I don't know. There's no way to explain it. It's a rare geologic phenomenon. Then finally... This guy, John Dyer, he's a water chemist. He's a 40-year veteran. He owned this A&L laboratories up here in Maine. He said, have you ever heard of primary water? And I hadn't. I didn't know anything about it. And he said, that's what probably what this is. He's like, there's no other way to explain it. And so the primary water thing is crazy when you think about it because it just it, it shatters everything that we think we know about water on the earth because we've always been told that there's only a certain amount of pure water left on the earth. Water is scarce. It's, you know, we've been fed this idea of scarcity that we, there isn't enough pure water to go around and we need to covet it and hoard it. And if you have it, you're lucky and all this stuff. But the, the explanation of why pure water is so scarce, and it's funny, a lot of people don't even consider this stuff or think about it, but we're told that the water that exists on this planet, in the oceans, the lakes, whatever bodies of water there are, comes from outer space. You heard that? Yeah. I right. think I said that yesterday in another interview. I was like, and I guess I hear some of it comes from space. I don't know how that works. So, for yeah. a long time, for most of the time, a lot of scientists, they're not saying this so much anymore. They're finally coming to. I have a, wow. I've been arguing with these scientists, and they've been, they, that's one thing they don't want to argue about. But a lot of them, like water structure, you should hear some of these guys, like mainstream science, it's so closed minded. But the one thing they don't argue with is this concept of primary water because it's not debatable. It's been proven. But anyway, so these guys basically, they got me into figuring out what this was. And the whole thing is dispelled. Water doesn't come from asteroids and meteors and comets, which is what we've always been told. That It's literally all the water on the, on the surface of the planet comes from outer space. And I've even seen some scientists who have calculated over the past four billion years that the Earth has formed, this many comets have landed and there's been this much water in each comet or meteorite and it's created like crazy stuff, you know? So, but anyway, this is what we were told, that this is where the water on the, on the Earth comes from. Not true. Some of it comes from space. There's no doubt about it, little bits. But do you really think it's enough to fill up the oceans of the world? That's a lot of water, you know? The truth now that's coming out is that the water on the planet comes from the earth. It, the earth is literally making water. It's a magmatic process. Just in the way all these metals and minerals and everything that the earth is creating, water. I mean, we're just talking about 
hydrogen and oxygen coming together and being created. So this idea that water actually is coming from the earth was something that scientists were like, well, we don't know. But a bunch of them started proving it. And there's a layer of what's called ringwoodite. It's a mineral. It's a, a stone where that's where this water is being held. And then it started coming out. Guess what? There's more than three to four times the amount of water that's on the surface of the earth in the earth. And it's potable. It means that it's clean. It, you can drink it. You know, and they were trying to prove if this was true or not. And they've proven that it's true. There's water there. So not only is there water there, but the fact that it's clean and that it's potable. I have a friend who has um, something called the Primary Water Institute, and I urge everybody to check it out. It's a nonprofit organization. I'm working with him. Part of my business structure is to help this man who has studied this stuff forever. He's a geologist. You know, A geologist has a very different understanding of how to access water than most people. This guy has drilled hundreds of these wells all around the world in sub-Saharan Africa, in places where they don't have water and provided massive amounts of water for people that don't have it. You know, he said, you, can you imagine the feeling of suddenly seeing this village in Africa of people who don't have water to drink? Water just starts coming out of the ground after he drills into it. They lose it, you know, fathers and mothers and kids, they start crying because it's like, what the hell, you know? So people refute this, but here's a great way that people can think about primary water is an oasis, right? An oasis in the desert. You're, there's no water table going on, right? It's a desert. There's just nothing but sand and, you know, no moisture, hardly nothing in the air. Yet all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's this one little area, there's water bubbling up. There's palm trees, there's life. That's primary water. So water is bubbling to the earth all over the place and it changes everything because we know that's what we represent and that's what this spring essentially is but it's a fascinating topic it's Dude, really that's that's badass i've never heard it contextualized in that way and also this is one of the great mysteries that i've just that i always trip out on when you're in the middle of the mountains and there's just water bubbling up and when, especially when you're at a, an altitude that exceeds all of the land around, like the spring, as the spring I was talking about the other day, I think on Daniel's show, uh, his episode was uh, the spring near Meeker, Colorado. It's 10,000 feet up. There's nothing for 100 miles of there. And it's like, how the hell does that water get? And so much just gushing to the top of that damn mountain. And all the local guys come by and water their horses. And they, they don't even think about it. It's just part of life there, you know. But I'm always looking, how does that work? It's just so fascinating to me. It's almost That's as if... Primary water. It's almost as if the planet is, you know, the water is like the blood of the planet. And there are these organs and arteries underneath the surface and then they sort of spring leaks if you think about a spring say that primary water coming out of the top of the mountain then turning into little you know springs then brooks then creeks then rivers ending up back in the ocean popping back up into the clouds it's almost like from your perspective then this primary water idea is that the earth is replenishing its own water supply constantly it's exactly it's making water and it's pushing it out and 
it's funny because people always say, well, why do you call it sacred? You know, because I call it sacred living water. It's like, really? How long do you have for me to get into this with you so you can understand how sacred and profound it actually is? But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The earth is creating water. There's massive amounts of it. These springs, these primary water sources are coming out everywhere. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. And you so know? these primary water sources then, uh, just by definition, would mean that that water hasn't been on the surface of the planet during the Industrial Revolution. Like, in a sense, that water is either too old and it just hasn't made its way back up here yet, or it's new and it's been created and therefore has no chance for contamination or, you know, being toxic, essentially. Um, I think a lot of people on the filtration side of the industry, the companies that make those, a lot of them are pretty disparaging against spring water because their claim is that all springs are contaminated by the very nature that we've had nuclear testing going on since the 50s or whenever that was, and that you have fracking and you have just all this contamination of the groundwater. And uh, uh, many of them seem to blanket all springs into like groundwater or aquifer water that has been through the cycle during the Industrial Revolution. And it's impossible for it to not have radiation and all this wacky stuff in it. But I've always suspected, which you're confirming, that there's another water table or source of water that's like has nothing to do with the past 200 years of human existence and what we've done to uh you know essentially make the water much of the water and the land toxic so would you agree with that yeah and you know in defense of that argument it's true there are springs that are contaminated you know and it's sad but it is true it's a result of our modern industrial age but it's not true across the board at all, and we know this. And part of with Tourmaline Spring is it showed every year that we've tested it, complete zero non-detectable levels of radioactive isotopes. None, not even any at all. I mean, all the food that we eat, anything on the Earth's surface, no matter how organic or how high quality, has detectable amounts of radioactive isotopes. Because like you said, from the 50s, the Bikini Atoll bombs, the hydrogen bombs that went off, this stuff went up into the stratosphere, went all over the planet and just infiltrated, you know, into everything. It's settled into it. So absolutely. That's why I said in the beginning, you know, and back to what you were saying about the different types of springs, know the hierarchy of springs, know the source, because water is generally categorized into two categories, surface water and groundwater. Surface water is what, you know, this simple-minded backlash against raw water, that's where they're coming from. They just think, oh, most of them don't even know the difference between a stream and a spring. You know, people think that we're advocating, oh, just go out in the woods and drink a, you know, a stream or a pond. It's like, I would never <laughs> drink out the pond. I have friends that do, but I would not do that, you know? Yeah. So then groundwater usually consists of when the ground will usually purify water quite well. It'll remove stuff, but it can always be contaminated with surface water. Right. So that's the risk that you run into. A lot of these springs that people drink out of that aren't tested usually are pretty good. I always advocate testing because you never know. You know, you don't know the geology of the area, and you also don't know if you know some wing nut up the road is you know dumping whatever into something that goes into the watershed and eventually makes its way up through the spring. Then that third class that, you know, they categorize into two categories, surface water and groundwater. 
which included groundwater includes most aquifers, but now there's this whole other thing of primary water, which this water's never been in contact with human industry or humans anthropogenic. It has no anthropogenic input whatsoever. Wow. Wow. It's That's real. True. It's real and it's proven. We can prove it. Others can prove it. These sources are out there. Wow, that's very cool. That's really encouraging, I think, for people that, um, you know, especially with the, the fear mongering, like the supposed shortage of uh, the shortage of oil and the shortage of water, and then that this water is somehow dangerous. And, and a little bit later, I want to get into some of the media and give some counterpoints to that, because there's a lot of misinformation. I guess it's click worthy. It's getting people, they're making money off clickbait advertising saying really sensational negative things about the whole water thing. So I, of course, want to get into that. First, I want to ask about, you mentioned that people would be advised, especially a lower altitude spring or a spring that's kind of suspect and has land above it where there could be houses or who knows what, anything that has potential for contamination. How would one get some water tested if they have a spring down the road, but they don't know if it's safe, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, there's look at labs, you know, we use national testing laboratories, they're fantastic. But there's a lot of other labs, a lot of states will have, it's funny, actually, not even like Maine, we have two drinking water agencies that oversee drinking water in the state. Most other states only have one and a bunch of states don't have any at all. So usually you can check in with someone from the state or wherever you are, and they're going to have references or check in with a lab, any kind of water lab. Because, you know, let's face it, 43 million Americans in the United States drink raw, untreated water out of their well right now. You know, a lot of these people will test their water and you do want to test. So, yeah. There's labs. People can right. check. Yeah, I guess in the context, if you go buy a home that's in a rural area that's on a well, I mean, to me, that would just be kind of a common sense thing and a fairly normal practice to get your water tested before you move in there to see if you can drink the water, et cetera, right? Common sense, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, generally, okay, yes, the earth, even in shallow springs, the earth cleanses this water because when you, you know, it's funny, people put a Brita filter it's like, what do you think is in that? You know, they're earth elements. It's the same thing that's in the earth. You know, water is being filtered through this thin little thing, you know, that you put on the end of your faucet or whatever. But the earth is doing that at a level that is way more extensive than yeah. a little filter. Yeah. And, you know, it's been doing it forever, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a funny thing. Yeah. Okay, cool. So the testing, because... I've been drinking just with reckless abandon out of springs for a lot of years now. And I don't know if it's, there's a pipe coming out of the side of the road. I'm not too discerning about it. I just kind of vibe it out. Seems like people locally are drinking it and stuff. But I recently had my gut biome tested and I had some funky bacteria, some dysbiosis going on. Uh, I had some E. coli, I had some parasites. So I was like, well... I also don't wash my vegetables that well <laughs> or thoroughly when I make a salad or something. So who knows where you pick up stuff from animal poop, basically. I and mean, that's where a lot of the stuff's coming from. But it could I could have drank from some tainted springs because I didn't have it tested and, you know, just kind of 
winged it. Uh, I still think that that's probably infinitely safer than drinking tap water and even a lot of bottled water. You know, <laughs> of course, it depends on what the spring's tainted with. But point being is that there's danger everywhere. You could walk out into an organic kale field and eat a couple bites of that and get cow manure, bacteria, whatever in your mouth, and then it's in your gut too. So it's I think we all need to probably just deworm and like do some cleansing periodically for anything we pick up environmentally. Um, but I, I like the idea of giving people the option like, hey, if you're concerned, like go find out. We we found a spring here uh, in Hollywood the other day and it's tasted pretty good. It was fairly cold. It didn't taste very mineralized, but there's houses up above it that are on some, who knows what septic system or, you know, the LA septic system. I don't know. So Makunde is getting that water tested just kind of as a service to the community which is cool, but that would be one I'd be a little suspect of because it's not at the top of a peak. It's really in the middle of the city of freaking Los Angeles on a hiking trail. You know, it's it's at the source. It's not groundwater. It's not above ground like a creek or something that could be contaminated. We get it right at the, at the headwaters, so to speak. But still, you don't really know until a laboratory says, you know, check, 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 your water's clean. Yeah, and you might as well check it. You know, it's not to refute the Earth's capabilities of purifying water, but it's, you know, again, like, I know you're coming at this from the same perspective as me, which is health. I want to live a healthy, full life. I want to tap into my potential. I want to make a difference in this world. I want to improve the world. And part of that is being conscientious about the food you eat, the water you drink. Just because it comes out of the Earth doesn't mean it's safe, obviously. Right. Testing doesn't cost that much. There's places that can do it for fairly cheap, you know, and aside from all the heavy metals, which you really want to make sure of, you know, coliform. So that's kind of a standard. If there isn't coliform, then there isn't really much other like Giardia or stuff like that. That's usually how they do it by. But you can break it down to whatever level you want. Right. So. Cool. Cool. And I mean, you could get a basic safety test for a couple hundred bucks or something, probably. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. Totally worth it. I mean, think about how much money you're going to spend on freaking Pellegrinos or Avions or whatever. This episode of the Lifestylist podcast has been made possible in part by my friends over at Athletic Greens. I discovered this superfood blend a couple months ago, started taking it, fell in love with it found it to be really convenient and useful and really good for the listeners because it's so all-encompassing. It's got vitamins, minerals, raw alkaline superfoods, herbs, antioxidants, plus enzymes and probiotics. So it's really a complete superfood blend. So that's why I like it. But in order to take an advertiser on the show, I need to find out a little more. I have to do a little deep digging and you should rest assured that I do this with all my advertisers. I got on the phone with their CEO. I asked him about testing for heavy metals, for mold, uh, herb or irradiation, all this weird stuff that you probably don't know about that a lot of health supplements companies do that is not awesome. So this passed my test, passed the taste test, passed the power test and convenience test. And that's why I'm so happy to share with you Athletic Greens. So if you wanna check this out, here's what's up. You wanna to go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke. You're gonna find a landing page there. And when you purchase through that page, you're going to get 20 free travel packs valued at 99 bucks. It's pretty awesome. So go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke. Then what about the impact uh, on the environment? Because when I'm looking at your website, it looks like you guys have some kind of fancy biodegradable, I'm assuming plastic-like bottle. So what are some of the things people might not be aware of when they're just consuming masses of 
plastic bottled water from a health perspective, our inner environment and the outer environment that's laid to waste with, you know, all of that excess baggage getting dumped on it? So first of all, this is a big, big, you know, topic of discussion. It's one that I'm very passionate about. Is plastic good? Obviously not. It's not good. Do we have a better choice right now in the world? No, not really. We don't because we're subjected to economic forces the way they are. Big business runs the world. Big business is looking at the bottom line. It's looking at how can I create the most amount of packaged materials to get the most amount of money you know, for the bottom line. That's what they care about. So this makes small bottlers, and it's not just water bottles either, and people always get that wrong. I mean, you walk into a store, a health food store, look at how many food products are packaged with plastic. Oh, that's true, right? And this doesn't even take into consideration our water, our virtual water footprint, okay? This is a huge, huge topic. We use massive amounts of water that we don't even know about to create all these different products that we use, the cars we drive, the technology that we use. So it's a huge, huge problem. So the issue then becomes, all right, the ethics of business are what really needs to be called into question. And so if it's not about the bottom line profit, then what's what's the next thing up? The triple bottom line, people, planet, and then profit. Okay, that's ultimately what this new wave of consciouspreneurs or these you know, entrepreneurs like me who are thinking ahead for future generations, we're looking at it from that perspective. However, we have to work with the systems in place, no matter how imperfect they may be, to begin to form a better way. There's just no way around it. We're subjected to market forces that have just gone run away in the name of greed. So it's going to take some time to get back to where we want to be. Now, in my situation... We started with something called Enso bottles. So this is a, we started with glass, actually. Daniel and I and Brian, we all did the original raw water in glass. But, you know, these guys were hand bottling it up there. It took, you know, the cost of goods because you can't adjust the economy of scale is so high that people aren't going to spend six bucks for a liter of glass. I mean, some do, but it's just, it doesn't work for anybody, you know? So we looked at, all right, well, what's the next best thing? The technology exists to use completely green plastics right now. It completely exists. It could be incorporated and enacted immediately. But guess what? Money. You, you know, us small guys can't do that because the big guys still dominate everything. So we do something called Enso Additive. And what this is, it's a film so that when, you know, 80% of plastic bottles end up in a landfill, sadly, that's where most of them end up. In the Northeast where I live, it's not so bad because almost every state here has a redemption, a bottle deposit bill. So our most of the bottles up here don't end up in a landfill, which is fantastic. And it helped me to justify making a more ethical decision to represent a better business model. But we use something they put into it that when the, say the bottle gets thrown into a landfill and, you know, an anaerobic environment, I mean, non-anaerobic environment, it becomes food for the microorganisms that live there. And it completely biodegrades in a few years, three years. 
sucks. Like, this is fantastic. And we use a really heavy weight bottle. It's as heavy, like some plastic bottles, you, they just crunch and they break down. This is a heavy weight bottle. It's blown. It's off gas three to four weeks before it's cold filled. And then it's tested. We test the source and the finished product. And every single time we've ever tested, after it's sat in the bottle for a while, it shows non-detectable levels of all the xenoestrogens, all the plasticizers, all the endocrine disruptors, anything, any kind of plasticizer or chemical of concern, antimony, all the heavy metal, none of those are in it. Now, I'm not justifying it because my plan is how do we keep improving this model as we scale because that's the goal. You know, I hate using these cliches, but Rome wasn't built in a day, right? It wasn't built in a week either. We're talking about industry, business, the way business is conducted from a greedy perspective is what has brought us to this point where businesses, corporations are poisoning our world. So we have to begin to use the same thing that ruined the world to make it better. It's not a quick fix. Like us Americans and us Western people, we want, we want it now. We want it. It takes time. But you know what? I would rather be proactive and taking steps than be anti something. I have so many people who sit around and they complain, oh, use plastic bottles or what are you doing? You know, what are you doing with your life? You're sitting on your couch complaining. I don't have time to complain because I'm too busy really looking at the big picture and figuring out how I can make a successful business model that thinks the generations into the future. Right. That's cool, man. Yeah, that's a really valuable, a valuable statement there in the end, because when you look at a lot of the media and uh, I mean, not only the news, but just politics, it's a, a lot of people in this country right now are really pissed and bitching a lot. <laughs> but I tend to hear more bitching than like, hey, here's an alternative. Here's a solution. You know, I think as human beings, some of us are really prone to problem thinking rather than solution thinking. And on a on a micro personal level, I mean, that's something that's taken me years and years to improve upon is when I'm put in a situation that's not working is instead of just getting caught in that negativity of fighting that darkness, I try to find some light and bring that in and just come at it from a, a fresh point of view. So I think that's a very cool uh, very cool attitude to have as an entrepreneur. And, you know, with dude, more people like you in the world doing business, small companies that are mushrooming out like that, uh, it has influence too. That's the cool thing. So someone else is going to hear you on this podcast and they have an idea for a product that's forward thinking and maybe is not competitive with the current market, but we create competition. We create market through demand and through awareness, which is why you, it's such a great thing. You have Costco and Walmart have organic food, man. That's amazing. I mean, think about how far we've come just from building awareness and educating people like this. Super I cool. You said that actually, and it's funny because a lot of people be like, "Okay, well, you're you're pro small business and you're anti big business," and it's like, no, that's not it either. It's I'm pro everything. I'm pro making. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, people have this idea. Okay, yeah, corporations have destroyed the planet. They're making, but you know what? It doesn't, these organizations, there's amazing, incredible people who work in big corporations who don't agree with the principles of how they operate and they want to create change. There's lots of people that are waking up no matter what. There's people all through the corporate world who are like, holy crap, what are my kids going to have left if, if we keep doing this? 
and it's happening. It's changing. But that's why I said I, me and many others who think in this way, we work within the systems in place, no matter how imperfect they may be, to begin to form a better way. And step by step, incrementally, we're going to get there. I have faith in human race, in our human species. I truly do. You know, yeah, I can look out in the world. I can see all kinds of terrible things happening. But you know what? I can see all kinds of really amazing things happening. And honestly, the deeper I look, I can only see amazing things happening. And the more I attune myself with my ability to perceive this miracle of life that is pulsing through all our veins in beating our hearts, causing us to perceive through our eyes, the more I know that each and every human being alive has the potential to not only change themselves, which is paramount, it's the first step, but to then begin to change the world from that place. We can all do it, you know? But it takes, it, you gotta first stop being a victim and blaming others. I don't blame anybody, you know? I don't, I, I just, every once in a while I'll say, oh, but you know what? Instead of being like, oh, they're controlling the market, they, I can't compete, I'm done, I give up, I quit. No way. It gives me, it's like, all right, I got to work harder. I got to be more diligent and I got to love more fully than I've been because that's what it's going to take to convince people to get them to see you have to appeal to their empathy, their compassion, and really their ability to just see a bigger picture than themselves. We can all do it if we, if somebody points it out to us, you know, and we want to. Oh, dude, that's amazing. It's really good stuff. I'm inspired. I'm like, what can I do right now? I am doing it. I mean, it's all part, it's all part of the puzzle. You know, I think it's, it's funny now because I'm just in a position in my life where the things that I'm marketing really as, as products, for lack of a better term, is information, you know, and education and things like that and inspiration. It's interesting to observe friends like you that have businesses that are based on a tangible commodity you know, physical products and stuff, because both of my businesses are, I guess, intellectual property in a sense, you know? And uh, yeah, it's a, just a totally different model to come from because you're having, it's like the intention and the psychological foundation and principles of a company like yours affect what's going to manifest on the physical plane directly, you know? So it's like you said that intention, and I, I appreciate your perspective on uh, the corporate interests too, because I think that people like me, uh, I have a tendency to just demonize big business and the banks and the Illuminati man, and you know, they're out to get us and all this stuff. And that's true, a lot of it. But at the same time, like not every person at Monsanto is satanic either. You know, it's like there are people that are good people that have families that are doing their job and they're doing what they think is best at that given time, even at the higher levels, if, if they're somewhat corrupt and they know they're putting Roundup in the environment and it's killing people and they try to hide it, they're doing what they think is best. It might not be the best. It might not be right. But it's like, I think most of us are inherently good, even at that higher corporate level. And and I think you're so right that it's, it's a systemic issue. You know, it's just, it's the way our civilization has sort of come to a head in terms of commerce and where commerce meets the environment our inner environment as our physical health and the medical system, but also the environment at large and the impact that our industry has on it. And I think guys from like our, maybe a generation ahead of us on down are now, you know, seeing the impact. And I, like you, I'm very hopeful too. I don't think we're anywhere near, you know, the end of the world as we know it at all. And, um, and if we are, there's nothing you could do to control that shit anyway. So just like do good business, be a good person, 
like you, I love how you said, you know, work on yourself first. Like I see so many people out campaigning to save the world. And like George Carlin said, I think it's like, dude, you can't even get along with your uncle or you know, your mother-in-law or something like, just take care of your own little corner of the you know yard first. And then maybe you can branch out and have an impact. So it's fun. It's fun to hear this stuff, man, from a, another entrepreneur's perspective. Well, and but you know, for what you're doing, why like your job, what you're doing is so important is because there's been this conditioning to perceive things in a very fear-based, lack of information sort of way that in order to begin to reverse these negative and destructive trends that we're experiencing, we need to be informed. We need to be able to perceive things in a way that we're not currently used to seeing them. You know, like people are like, oh, you, you're so good at thinking outside the box, but it's like, I, I think in the box, out of the box, to the left of the box, to the right. I like literally work my mind, my heart, my perception of reality to consider things from all angles. And then after I've done that, after I've really, really contemplated for a long enough time, then I act from that place. But where a lot of people get confused or lost or they don't have their priorities, you know, like, okay, yes, I'm out building a business. I plan on you know, making a lot of money so that I can create more structures. I have a bunch of nonprofits that I've created that are on standby because I need to achieve a certain level of monetary success before I can activate those and enact them. And these are organizations that truly make a difference in the world, like holding all plastic producing companies liable for a deposit on the plastic they create. I mean, I've really, really thought through things from such a deep level because I've gotten my own priorities straight, which essentially is this. The riches that I seek do not come from the world around me. The riches that I truly seek come from inside of me. They literally come from inside of me and they come as a result of me, this person that I believe myself to be, being in tune with this miraculous energy, this innate intelligence of my body my heartbeat, my lungs breathing, the fact that I can see through these eyes, that I can hear through these ears. To me, this is profound wealth, to be in tune with my human senses to the degree where it leads me to the ability to perceive beyond my normal human senses and to perceive in different octaves from them. Now that's wealth to me, that's riches. And when I'm in that space and I'm aware of it, then it's like, okay, how am I going to create in this world from that place? So I've gotten my priorities straight. And a lot of people are coming to terms with that. They're realizing like, whoa, like money and all these things. That's not really what we're doing this for. That's just this conditioning that we've kind of been led astray into believing. And that's why people need this information. They need to be able to perceive things in a way that is you know, going to give them this mental disinfectant reconditioning, you know? Love your perspective, dude. Uh, I, I'm very excited about talking to so many entrepreneurs like you that are coming at this from a conscious level and on so many different levels too, really systems thinking, zooming out, looking at the big picture, getting creative about the ways in which you do business and in, in the world. Um, let's, let's continue on that thread a little bit. And I'd love to hear about some of the challenges you've faced as being a pioneering concept of selling water essentially publicly 
bringing to market something that is unprocessed, you know, as an unprocessed food during the course of this series on water, we've been referring to spring water and natural water as unprocessed water, just like lettuce would be unprocessed until you make a juice out of it and freeze it or something, you know? So what, uh, you know, what issues have you had with regulatory agencies and the legality of actually getting water from the earth and, and, and giving it to people? And why aren't there more companies venturing to do so? Fantastic question with many different facets to the answers of it. The shorter answer of it all is we went through regulatory approval. Like I said earlier, Maine has two drinking water agencies that oversee the state. And my business partner, Brian, petitioned them. He said, look, I want to be able to, because he was talking to Daniel and I, and we wanted to do untreated living, you know, quote unquote, living water out of the ground. And, um, you know, he, he checked with the state, he wanted to do it. And they said, well, no one's ever done it before. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it could be whatever, blah, 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 and this and that. And so they said, look, give us your water testing, show us everything. Let's see, let's look at this. And so they explored it with us. And then they gave us a written exemption, um, like an official exemption from treatment. So we have it in writing from the state. They approved it. They said, yeah, you guys can do it untreated. And we were like, yes, this is great, you know. But then they came back later and said, guess what? Actually, you didn't even need to come to us because anybody can really do it. You know, it's a there there isn't anything in the F all the FDA laws actually say is that water needs to be potable. And so when you think of it, it's like, well, okay, of course they don't really there isn't a lot in place to dictate whether or not people can drink untreated water. Because 43 million Americans drink untreated water out of their well every single day, you know. So how are they going to regulate all that, you know? How are they gonna... So no one's really sold bottled water in this country untreated. So there haven't been a lot of systems in place to determine it. Now that's kind of scary. It's you know it could. We're hoping that a lot of people aren't going to be like, okay, I'm just going to start selling water. They don't have a source like we do, you know, and like, and like some of the others, like Mukonde, like these are sources that are tested. They're clean. We know they're safe. A lot of people don't necessarily have the source of water that has comprehensive lab analysis to demonstrate the unwavering purity of the water. So they really can't just start bottling it and selling it, you know? Right. Then we get back to this thing, like a lot of places, because you know, again, where where I am, it's hard rock, so it creates its own flavor, its own brand of spring water that is I mean, not brand. I don't want to use that word, but it, it creates a unique flavor. You get these really, really super cold, low, low TDS waters that you drink it, and your body is just like, whoa! It springs to life. You, you literally feel alive. A lot of other places don't have the luxury of having such non-porous bedrock that we have you know they so the tds the water is going to have much different properties and here's another thing that a lot of people don't know the higher the mineral content is in water the more the easier it's going to grow algae and bloom and just turn green and 
that will happen really quick the higher the minerals are. Oh, interesting, because there's sort of the building blocks of matter in there, right? There's there's more DNA, so to speak, going on and in the water. And there's more particulate matter for them to lock onto. Right. You know, that's why a lot of people, like, like the whole, like, New Age thing and everybody making fun of crystals and, like, oh, and what do crystals have to do with anything, you know? Because there's always, like, the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, the fungus kingdom, the mineral kingdom, yet nobody really understood what minerals or crystals had to do with the rest of life, with bio, with organic life. But obviously, it's all one clue, closed loop system that are all interrelated. And they're saying a lot of these minerals that these crystals, the different elements in minerals create surface area for life to lock into. Oh, interesting. So it's almost like in water that's got a high mineral content, there's little bits of rock in there, essentially, that we can't perceive with our eye, but those rocks provide a foundation for microorganisms to then proliferate. It's almost like that dissolved minerals becomes little houses for creatures to grow in. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to like Flintstonian some stuff at times, I think for my own comprehension to get a, a, a very simplistic common sense point of view, but I like doing it for the audience too. If things run a little bit deep, you know, like, okay, how do I translate this to like a totally normal person that doesn't know what the hell we're talking about? I want to get into now. Hmm, it's so fun being the host of a show. Cause I could be like, ah, what do I want to do now? And there's no uh, show producer to tell me otherwise. But I'd like to get into, as we sort of wrap things up here, some of the media stories that have come out lately. You know, the one one outlet, I think it was New York Times, you know, grabbed McCunde for some quotes and came to see him and took some pictures and put out a very sensational, uh, extremely misleading fake news sort of uh, profile on him. And I talked to him about what that experience was like. And you, of course, have a vested interest in how the media is, you know, reporting on this industry. So what's been your perspective on some of the things that have come out? And like, let us know where where the lies have been made, if you, if you recall some good solid facts, so that people that have fallen for that sort of propaganda that's come out lately can can have a rebuttal. Yeah, love it. This is first of all, I gotta give it to Mukande. He has taken a battering. You know, like it's been some of the things I see. I'm just like, oh my god. But it happened in the beginning. It was happening to all of us. I mean, it was mostly him. He was bearing the brunt of it and just taking these heavy hits. You know, but out in California, and I, you know, I had a talk with him. It's more liberal out there. You guys are a little bit more accepting of things. Where I live on the East Coast is very conservative as soon as you start thinking out of the box a little bit everyone's like well, well, well hold on we gotta cut you know this is the east coast it's it's very it's condensed people they are very conservative they don't have the same kind of opinion so but it's funny because as soon as you get out of maine that's where that stuff really gets tight but up here in maine everybody even the state regulatory officials were laughing about this everybody's laughing because they can't believe they're like holy crap a global media blitz about drinking untreated water and everybody up here in maine drinks untreated water out of their well i mean it's that's where most people get their water from <laughs> right, so, right it also as i as i've talked about in the in the other segments of this series that i'm doing on water i talked to mccunday and daniel about it that it's i think the frame of the whole headline is that look at these idiots that are hopping onto this new trend of drinking unprocessed natural water from nature 
as yeah. if as if that's new. It's like um, the person writing that article or, or doing that news report or whatever literally would not be alive had their ancestors going back to the beginning of mankind been subsisting themselves on spring water. I mean, it's like, how do you think we got here? Nothing alive on the planet has had anything else to drink except water created by the earth, you know, that we were talking about earlier so it's it's just maddening to hear like such an insane perspective and that it's i mean of course there is danger in drinking water out of a creek or a pond or a septic system i mean okay duh but it's just crazy the way that they've they've intentionally for some reason we don't know if that's for more clicks uh, more ratings or if there's you know maybe nestle owns the news networks also and they're like whoa whoa we don't want these hippies drinking water let's put a fear tactic out i don't know what what are some examples of some of the stories that have come out and not been based in reality that that you've noticed because there's thousands of these videos and blog posts and stuff all over the internet now oh it it's like no uh, none of us saw this coming you know none of us did we just were going along doing our thing and Everything is relatively fine and stable, and then this hit. But it's it's great, you know. It's fantastic that it happened because to me, I perceive this as a cry for help. I don't think there's any conspiracy theory. Certainly not. I don't think there's there's no big companies behind this initially. Nestle, none of those guys had anything to do with this. This just struck a public nerve because when you have all these people who are insulated from the natural world, who suddenly hear something like, "Oh, they're drinking untreated water out of the ground." They're not even out in the wilderness enough to understand what that even means. So in many ways, it's a cry for help, whether they know it or not. It's a subconscious cry of like, holy crap, I'm disconnected from nature because I'm disconnected from my own inner nature, which is bacteria, which is the microbiome, which is all these things that a lot of people don't want to think about because it kind of makes them queasy. They're, They're sickened by their own existence if they were to really consider it deeply in that level, you know, from a physical level. So every mainstream media outlet there is covered this thing. It was just insane. And they're tearing it apart and going crazy. And this is what's interesting. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm not, this isn't a conspiracy thing at all. This is a, this actually happened. And I wrote a quote. I said, people would rather laugh at the fable of the water they are not drinking than honestly face the sobering reality of the water they are drinking, okay? And what I mean by that is right on 1-11, January 11th, right in the middle of this whole like battering against raw water or untreated spring water and spring water, which again, people didn't know the difference between a spring and a stream. On 1-11, the environmental working group releases a bombshell report showing that 170 million people, more than half of this country, have been drinking carcinogenic radioactive tap water. Bam! Dropped it right in the middle of all. So, you know, people like, they're speculating, the people who are really paying attention are like, was this whole raw water diversion thing just to not get people paying attention to that? Because CBS reported on it, a bunch of big outlets reported on this. And it's a big freaking deal, you know, hundred, more than half the, look at our cancer rates. Does nobody put together that the water we're drinking and absorbing through our pores and being consumed that has been treated, does nobody consider that this water might be having an effect on our disease levels? You know, and it's funny because we did all kinds of interviews and at first they were bashing us hard and I would write to them 
And I was like, eh, excuse me, you didn't speak to us about it. You haven't contacted us. You haven't, you're just making false claims and you're actually infringing upon trademarks that our company has and you're providing false information that isn't true. And some came back all threatening, like, oh, you know, this and that. But then when we disclosed all the information to them, they started to change their tone. And a few of them came back and interviewed us and they, it changed everything. You know, like CBS came up to the spring. They were going to, they were like ready to hammer us. You know, they were like really like ready, like, all right, we're going to. But after seeing what we were doing and being there, these guys went from like, all right, we're going to, they just all completely softened up. And they were like, oh my God, like, shh, people wrong don't they it's like well it's not that they have it wrong necessarily it's just they're not open enough to be in tune with reality to the degree where they can perceive things in a way that's going to be so to me it's it's a cry for help but yeah that's what happened right in the middle of this whole thing that report was released and that's very serious because radium and you know the stuff they're talking about that's only one thing that is in tap water one thing doesn't even include every other chemical you know, tap water is a chemical cocktail. It is, you know, people say, oh, what's wrong with tap water? Really? What's wrong? First of all, what, look at the infrastructure, okay? The infrastructure is, that's the real topic here. That's what really needs to be discussed because Flint, Michigan, it's funny how people forget about that, you know, but it happened all over the place. There's lead pipes everywhere. Some of the infrastructure for our water in this country was built when Lincoln was president. It hasn't been replaced. The EPA states right on their website right now, the two years ago they wrote this, it'll take at least $384 billion to replace the water infrastructure of our country. And there's still thousands and thousands, if not more, of lead pipes and other, you know, non-water, unhealthy water um, substrates that are existing out there. This stuff, you know, but of course, people don't want to hear that argument. They don't want to talk about it because in order to fix the infrastructure for water in our country, it's going to take money. And in order for people to want to start, we're going to have to pay for that. The citizens of this country, water taxes are going to have to go up. But guess what? People don't want to do that. We're paying for tap water now. People think it's free, but it's not. We're paying for it. But in order to get the tap water really good, which it needs to be, well, it'll never be really good, but in order to get it so that it's way better, because there is ways of treating water to get rid of the microorganisms that are a threat to human health without adding all these carcinogenic toxic chemicals into it. You know, my friend Brian says it all the time. Do you have any favorite chemicals that you'd like us to add to the water? You know, water <laughs> right, right. is healthy for what's not in it, not what they add to it. Right. That, that, I get up about that's this. interesting too. No, that's why I'm talking to you, dude. Yeah. It's interesting too uh, about you know the idea that I think most of us we just think water's free. If you live in a town or a city, just wow, water. Why would you pay for that? I mean, even probably some old school people that aren't particularly health conscious don't even buy bottled water because they're going, why the hell are you going to pay three dollars for a bottle? You can just turn on the sink. So I think that there's somewhat of a generational and, and a cultural awareness there that's lacking and that has the idea that it's free. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I'm in an apartment now, so I don't think I pay for water in my unit. I pay for other utilities. But the last place I lived was a house in the Hollywood Hills, and there's a lot of fire hazards in the hills. And so by law, you have to water the whole goddamn hill. And our, we had a really big property there. And so there's a whole sprinkler system that watered the whole goddamn hill. There's nothing, there's no vegetation to speak of. There's nothing to water. 
but the fire code indicates that you have to water your entire property, you know, so many times a day, et cetera. And my water bill would be like $300 a month. And I'm like, I don't even drink this goddamn water. I mean, you know, obviously I take a shower, fill up a tub here and there, but it was all from those sprinklers. And that's when I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, the municipality is making a lot of money on all that water that they truck in from other states into the LA basin, you know, and that was sort of that first experience where I had, yeah, water's not at, actually free at all. It's not free. And, and, you know, and even like what you're talking about, that was a blatant charge like that. You you see you're, you're getting charged for that, but we're still getting charged for water. We just don't see it. We pay for it through our taxes. Again, all the products that we use, everything, the cost of the water being used in everything is already calculated into it. And here's the thing. And this is really what it all comes down to. In order to improve water for everybody, we as individuals and as a species need to start valuing water way more than we do. Water is not just water. It's, it's like this is what people need to really come to terms with. There is such a distinct difference between water quality and water that is of low quality. And we need to start valuing water. And let's see, why would we do that? Oh, okay. Um, 70% of our body by molecular weight is water. 80% of our brain is water. 93% of our blood and 99% of our cells are made up of or surrounded by water. Isn't it time to start valuing water more than food? The food we eat is grown with the same treated water if it's commercial food. Like this is a huge, huge topic that needs to be discussed for the welfare, safety and benefit of all. But it needs to start with individuals waking up to the realization that the most predominant element in and of their bodies needs to be paid a lot more respect to it. It needs to have a lot more attention paid to it. Damn, dude, you're good. I swear to you, like, you need to be at a lectern, man. These are like really good speech bombs here. You're, it's like you had a speech writer. I swear to God, it's really good stuff, Seth. I just love life and I care about it and I spend I enough time considering it and I want to, I want to impact the world. You know, I have a kid. My friends have kids, you know, I, and again, it comes down to this, like, there's hope for us. It doesn't matter. Like people are just, I, so many people are so pathetic. You know, I know you've been through a lot of things. I've been through things that have killed bigger, better, stronger people. And you know what? I've lived through it and it's for a reason. And it's because I love this life and I trust this life and I'm willing to confront the edges of my own self limitations in order to get to a place where I can be a lot more empowered and then go out and empower others. And a lot of people don't want to accept this, but business, okay? Small business is how we change the world. That's what we have to work with right now. That's one of the most profound ways to change our world. And when it comes from a place of we have our individual priorities straight, you know, we're thinking about the evolution of our own soul's journey through us. We're thinking about how the way we interact with the world is going to affect future generations. Suddenly we're going to approach the way we do business a lot differently than corporate America has. So where do you see your business going from here? What are, what are your plans? And what, what, what goals and dreams and challenges do you think lie ahead for Tourmaline Spring? Well, it's been really, because it's such a corporate environment, I've been saying this forever, and it's funny, all my friends in the natural foods industry are like, oh God, be careful, dude, what you say. 
But I don't care because I know that I'm coming from the right place and I could care less what people think about me. I'm going to do and be exactly what I know I am and I'm going to represent that fearlessly because I know deep down that if I'm not true to my own conscience and my own self and represent the best in our human species, then I'm not doing anything good even if I was trying to make money for myself and put it in my pocket anyway. Over it. Done with that. So it's been difficult to penetrate the corporate market. You know, it really has because the bottled water industry, much like the natural foods industry has become, is very much, and I call them entrepreneurial opportunivores. It's these people who, okay, they see a trend, they see a way to make money, and they're still just focused on the money, forgetting like the whole point of natural foods is to get back to nature, you know, to get back to that place. So my goal with Tourmaline Spring is to literally create, make a successful business model, set a standard for how ethical bottled water can look, feel, and taste, and be produced, use money, use our dollars to vote for businesses like mine that are going to make a difference in the world, and then use it incrementally as a platform. So Tourmaline Spring can be, along with Mukande's company, along with Daniel, along with all these other people, there's amazing people out there. There needs to be a lot more water awareness going on. There's a woman who wrote a book called Water Codes, which you should check her out. She's amazing, Dr. Dr. Carly Newday. It's all about water structure, and I'm not even gonna get into that, it's a whole other thing. But with my business structure, my plan is to work side by side with the Primary Water Institute so that we can bring water to people in the world that don't have it. There's people in this country that don't have it. We can drill these wells, they're non-invasive. It's just drilling a hole in. He knows exactly what kind of rock to drill into. And when he drills it, this primary water comes right up through. This is water that can be provided to people all over the world. This guy's been doing this for over 50 years and he's been doing it under the radar because no one wants to fund it. People don't value water, they don't see it. So my goal is to create a successful business structure that works in conjunction with him to bring water to people that don't have it and to use Tourmaline Spring as a platform that creates further educational awareness about the most important element of the world and of our time water dude that's amazing i love that and i'm i'm really happy to be riding on the crest of that with you and this just being the third of the three interviews that i've done on this and in the course of the last week uh it's really cool that we got to cover more of this perspective uh, because it's each one's had its own unique sort of flavor and uh, i really appreciate learning from you and your perspective, it's, I think it's going to make a really meaningful impact on the listeners of this show to get such a, a dense amount of content on this one particular topic, especially at a time now where there's so much confusion or just ignorance. It's not even something people think about. But I'm, I'm super stoked to have been able to speak with all three of you guys about this because um, it's a question I get a lot now. Like, what's the best filter? Is alkaline water good? Is, should I get an RO or distilled? And how bad is bottled water? Where do I get spring water? Is it safe? I mean, I think the health conscious people in health and wellness are still a little bit dismayed here. So yeah. we've, we've managed to create like a really uh, value packed trifecta here. So 
in closing, you've taught me a lot. And I'm like, I'm going to have to take a minute to digest all this and do the show notes and the intro and stuff. I'm like, wow, there's a lot unpacked. Uh, so I've learned a lot from you, as has our audience. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have informed your work that we might be able to go look up to learn even more? You know what? That's a hard question for me to answer because I don't, I don't really read a lot. I don't, I don't, I'm so focused. You know, who's been my best teacher is my own spirit. Literally the very innate, profound intelligence of my being that influences my human organism, right? When I'm in the world and doing things in the world and it's leading me like away from this innate intelligence of the body, I get lost. But when I stop, I recenter, I reprioritize, I get back into the balance of my being, then suddenly I am in tune with reality. It creates this bridge between the parts of myself that feel disconnected from reality and the part of myself, the core of myself that truly is connected throughout all of reality. So the more I pay attention to that, the more I give my attention to that, the more I'm paid by the attention I'm giving to this profound innate intelligence that's causing all these crazy autonomic and functions of the body. So I learn a lot from that. With that, I'm super passionate about water. Like I said, Dr. Carly Newday, her book is so inspiring and she's somebody you should check into. She has really profound stuff. Victor Schoberger, I mean, all these guys. I mean, they're, uh, Paul Power, who he's a profound teacher to me right now. This is the guy I was talking about from the Primary Water Institute. This guy, go, I already told you before, but you got to talk to this guy. I mean, it's, it's amazing to hear the reality of what's going on. Love is in the earth. Water is in the earth. The earth, there isn't a lack of water. Small business people, you know, and that's why I always tell people, like, in, instead of voting for your state, whatever, your national officials, or you vote every day with your dollar. That's where your dollar, your votes really count. So do you want to vote for people like me who are going to, who are doing this? I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for everybody. Period. You know, I, and I'm willing to stand up and testify in front of the eyes of the universe and say that I have to live for the purity of my consciousness, which is very much like a spring out in the middle of the woods that's bubbling to the earth's surface. We have that same a similar kind of phenomenon inside of us. There's a natural purity inside of us that is bubbling to the surface. And if we pay attention to it and drink from its waters, it imbues us with health and life and the ability to really be in tune with the greater flow of reality. So anyhow, awesome, dude. You wanted, but. <laughs> awesome. I love it, man. Thank you so much for the input. So how can people find you on the intro web and social media? Give us some URLs and handles. So yeah, the website tourmaline spring, that's T-O-U-R-M-A-L-I-N-E spring, just singular, no springs because it's a single source. Oh, you so know, term- I want to ask you, uh, was where is your water available on the East Coast? Is it just in Maine or do you guys deliver out there? Is it at health food stores? How do people find it? Yeah, we're in we're in probably like six uh, six or seven hundred stores from between Maine and Florida. It's mostly between Maine and the Mid-Atlantic. But as a result of this media blitz, we've experienced some growth. We just got a chain of stores in California, actually. Oh, cool. nice, dude. Yeah. Lassen's, Lassen's picked us up. Oh, and they put us in that's up. great. There's a Lassen's about a mile from me. Nice. Perfect. So, yeah, they're going to have it there. Cool. 
a place in San Diego is hopefully going to be picking us up. But yeah, we're we're mostly in between Maine and Florida, but hundreds of health food stores and oh, awesome man stores. That's really, yeah. that's really good to know because when I go out to the East Coast, I'm I'm always kind of stuck on the water thing trying to figure it out and i just make the best choice available but that's cool to know that i can seek you guys out when i'm out there yeah oh yeah come up and visit that's what you need to do dude i know i was gonna go see daniel in maine a couple years ago when i I was on a trip to new york and then he we had some scheduling issues that came up and i canceled the ticket and i never went back out but yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to getting out there and hanging out with you guys you got to come now for sure. And I'll bring you up there and you'll see this yourself. And uh, That sounds amazing, dude. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you again, man. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, somebody please call a janitor. We've got some brains on the floor over here. I think we've blown some minds here. Was yours one of them? I certainly hope so because mine was. Seth is such a badass guy. Like what a knowledgeable, conscious, amazing human being. How fortunate are we to get to meet people like him via our eardrums, right? So thank you so much for listening to this one. And of course, I know you haven't forgotten that our our third installment in the Water Wars trilogy is coming up next with Makunde Singh from Live Springwater. Now he's kind of representing the West Coast while Seth is representing the East Coast. We kind of have a West Coast, East Coast rap battle going on. You know what I'm saying? Were you guys there in the 90s? Biggie, Tupac, right? Death Row, hello, anyone, anyone? Okay. You might be too young to remember that. If not, that's what's happening here. But there's no wars. It's all love. And we're all talking about water. So check out part three with Makunde. And then uh, you definitely want to tune in on Tuesday for episode 132 with Aubrey Marcus from On It. Don't forget to go to lukestroy.com forward slash events to get tickets to all my upcoming events, especially the one happening here in LA tomorrow at Whitma Live. This is going to be insane. I'm running a full-on biohacking lab all day and I'm moderating a panel. It's going to be off the chain. Uh, Then we've got the Longevity Now conference. Of course, I want to remind you, if you want to win tickets, I'm hooking up three sets of tickets worth about a thousand bucks each. Here's what you have to do. Open your phone and text this number. The number is 44222. The word you're going to text me is longevity now, all lowercase. I don't want you guys DMing me on Instagram. I texted and it didn't work. It didn't work because you didn't listen. It's all lowercase, no capital L, all right? Text number longevity now to 44222 on a US phone. If you've got an international phone, sorry. Your SOL, my friend, but you can win tickets to the Longevity Now conference. And then uh, thanks so much to our sponsors. You know, I know sometimes it's annoying when I listen to podcasts and I have to listen to ads. It kind of bums me out. But the thing you got to remember with the ads that I run on this show is not only are they making it possible for me to do this because there are many expenses and the expenses actually grow the more I improve the show as I up the production quality and all of that stuff. Uh, but you wouldn't be getting this show without the sponsors. And I also don't run sponsors unless I really believe in what they do. Like I've got to use their products. In fact, I just installed my Altera Pure sheets on my bed and they are freaking fantastic. So go to alterapure.com. That's A-L-T-E-R-R-A pure.com. Enter the code lifestylist and you will save 15% off the most chronic bedding you've ever seen in your life. Then you can go to Organify with an I.com. No, I'm sorry. No, this is not it. Organify.com forward slash Luke 
Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 20%. And then we've got, of course, Athletic Greens, which is a fantastic company. Uh, you can go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke. And all you have to do is just use that link and they're going to send you 20 free travel packs valued at 99 bucks with your first purchase. So thank you so much to our sponsors. And thank you so much for listening to the ads that I run on the show. As I said, it's, an, it's a crucial part of what we do here. And I really appreciate you supporting those companies because they're all badass companies. And that's the only kind of people I F with. So more than anything, I want to thank you for joining me in this amazing trilogy all about water. Why don't you do me, yourself, and the world a favor and just share this episode with a couple of homies or someone you love right now. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll catch you Tuesday with Aubrey Marcus. Aubrey Marcus.